Hello and welcome to One Great History, where we talk about the history of Winnipeg, Manitoba, and all the little bits of it that fascinate us. I'm one of your hosts, Alex. And I'm Sabrina. So welcome. Uh, how's your week been, Sabrina? It's been uh, pretty good. I haven't done a whole lot of exciting things, sadly. <laughs> I know it was Thanksgiving weekend, but I ate a ham and I went to Okan McMarsh. Oh, that's nice. been it. I have to admit this week, I've been feeling a little bitter towards Winnipeg. <laughs> um, which is a great start to this podcast. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is probably old news by the time we release this, I guess, but they announced that the bay is closing. Right, yeah. Um, which is rough for me. It's been my happy <laughs> happy place for a long time. <laughs> no, for real, though. When I used to, when I was at the U of W, I used to, like, if ever I, like, got bad feedback on an assignment <laughs> or, like, a professor said they were going to meet me and then they, like, didn't. I'd yeah. go and to the bay and just like walk around. <laughs> Alex, that's really weird and sad. I just went like got pancakes at Stella's to cope. Oh, that sounds good too. This is free though. Walking around the bay is free, which might be why they're closing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did also like to go there too, but mostly because the women's bathroom on the second floor is super weird. Yes. If you're listening to this and the bay is still open, go check out the women's bathroom. They have like a full makeup section where you can go and like sit and do your makeup. Yeah. That's where you go to fix your lipstick. Yeah. It's great. If you're caring about your looks when you're shopping at the Portage Avenue Bay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I am a little bitter about it just because I've never seen a company try so hard not to succeed. <laughs> yeah, it does feel a bit deliberate at this point, hey? It does. But hopefully <laughs> hopefully something cool is done with the yeah. building. Well, it's a heritage building. It's a heritage yeah. building. So the building itself is protected, at least. But... But... I don't know. We'll Re see. Repurposing that building is going to be really tricky. It is. I saw an article about it. They were talking about how the building was designed not to let light in, essentially, which makes repurposing <laughs> it into something like, say, condos or whatever, yeah. mixed use kind of tricky. Well, they've been talking about like repurposing the building for probably years now. I oh, think. for years. Yeah. But I think I went to a seminar about it actually at the library, I think last year now. And they were saying the only way to reuse it is to punch a hole in the middle of it, essentially. Oh, jeez. Because the square footage in the middle has no light. So you can't put, like, an apartment there. Yeah. There's no window, so. You could punch a hole in the middle, but the escalators are designated heritage things in the building, so. Uh, the escalators have also been broken for years. Yes, they don't work, and it's because they don't make the parts anymore, oh, I geez. think. So. <laughs> it's so, a mess. Winnipeg, it? please preserve this heritage building somehow. <laughs> I don't know how. I was going to play the uh, fun game of guess what's in my bag as banter. <laughs> well, so, okay. I did actually bring something. I had brought something for you. Oh, what did you? Okay. What did you bring? Well, I mean, me? I told you I was bringing it. It's Columbo. Oh, thank you. Oh, no. I forgot to bring you back your bit of Columbo. <laughs> I'm driving you home. It's, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, also I brought two other things. Oh, what? Okay. And it's not food wrappers, <laughs> which is, I think, the rest of my bag's but contents. is it baked beans? It's not baked beans. <laughs> Okay, what did what did you bring? Um, one is something I got from my great aunt. Wait, can I guess? Can I yeah. guess what these are? Um, it's from my great aunt and Morris. Oh, it's from your great aunt and Morris. Okay, and it's okay. It's from a very flat purse. Is it a souvenir plate? <laughs> that would fit in this bag. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Okay. Um, is it a paperback book of some kind? No, it's not one of my Columbo paperbacks. Okay, it's either. not a Columbo paperback. That does narrow things down a bit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I give up. What is it? It's a 1940s rationing book. Oh, that's yeah. actually cool. Yeah, uh, my great aunt's husband's dad ran the general store in town in the 40s. So, huh. a 1940s rationing book. That is super neat. Yeah, I thought you would find that cool. There's also a uh, guide to learning low German in my bag. 
That's cool. Are you learning low German? I am trying to, but I don't study very hard generally, and I have no one to practice with. Oh, you could talk to my dead grandma. Yeah, that'd be great. I feel like it's everyone's dead grandma I could talk to. Um, on that topic, actually, that's a good that's a good transition. Re-talking to people's dead grandmas. Oh yeah, all right. Actually, here here is where I'd like to play a little song to get us in the mood for this episode. Oh boy. <laughs> oh my golden slippers and laid away, cause I don't expect to wear them till my wedding day. And my long tail coat that I love so well, I will wear up in the chariot in the morn. And my long white robe that I bought last June, I'm going to get changed. So, I mean, there's more, but I won't play the whole thing for you. But, um, so, ideally, now you should be feeling in the correct mood for this episode, which is spooked. <laughs> yeah, that was a very scary song. It's a very scary song. Um, that particular song was a special favorite of the ghosts in a Winnipeg home. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't realize ghosts had favorite songs. They do have favorite songs. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but we are today talking about uh, ghosts. We are, as we're recording this, in the middle of spooky season. Which is October. Which is October, yes. Um, do you believe in ghosts? No, but I also think if I was alone in a scary house, I could convince myself I did. Okay, that's fair. And have you ever, like, have you ever lived or worked anywhere that was supposed to be haunted? Maybe? Yeah. The Exchange District Biz office was theoretically haunted. Someone said it was. I don't believe it. Right. Nothing really scary ever happened there. I think it's just the building is over 80 years old. Someone says it's haunted. It's sort I of a rule. That seems to be the thing is if something is old, people say it's haunted. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I don't believe in ghosts. So um, I've worked at a couple of places that were supposed to be haunted. Um, never saw anything ghostly. That's just my personal experience. So what we talk about today is going to come from that perspective, obviously. But I do love the history of ghost hunting. Um, <laughs> and I definitely have like some respect for people doing experiments, right? To try and figure out if anything exists beyond human existence. Um, but the trouble, of course, is it's hard to tell the difference between those people who are genuinely trying to figure those things out and people who are, you know, being dishonest or just playing around or what have you. So... What we're talking about today is Hamilton House. So I know you know what Hamilton House yes. is, right? But I don't think most Winnipeggers do. No. Nick, have you heard of it? No. Okay. <laughs> so I would describe Hamilton House as Winnipeg's kind of unofficial center of spiritualist research in yeah. the 20th century. So this is a home on Henderson Highway. So it's a little bit outside of kind of core, like the core kind of downtown area of Winnipeg, which I think is why it maybe doesn't get quite as much attention. Mm -hmm. um, but the building does still exist today. Um, and it was home to Dr. Thomas Glendening Hamilton and his family, who spent much of the 1920s and 30s conducting spiritualist experiments in their home. Um, and what's really interesting about Hamilton is that he's not really the type of guy you might expect to be running seances out of his home. So if you picture a medium, who do you picture? probably like a slightly batty looking old woman as mean as that sounds <laughs> no i love that well like the woman in the museum in the oh, old gallery madame display. tarot yes yeah. yeah almost kind of like orientalist garb right yeah and like like a little problematic 
a little problematic. Yes, we'll get, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons that I'm interested in the history of kind of mediumship and stuff is that it was often sort of a weird path to female empowerment. Oh, right. I think women historically, for whatever reason, have often been regarded as being sort of like more in touch with yeah. supernatural phenomena and especially things like ghosts. Um, and so obviously Hamilton is a man. So yep. that, that makes him a little bit different uh, to that extent. Um, but he's not only a man, but a very straight-laced one as well. Oh, interesting. So a real kind of pillar of the community type. Um, so he's, you know, straight, white, cisgender, middle-class, Anglo-Saxon, Christian family man kind of guy. <laughs> um, and this is maybe why people take him seriously, I think. Yeah, that would make sense. Like, he seems, like, credible. Absolutely, yeah. So I think there were probably other people doing seances and spiritualist stuff in Winnipeg, and obviously there still yeah. are ghost hunters and stuff here today. Um, but I think for that reason, he gets a little more credibility and a little more attention. So a little bit of background just on Hamilton himself. Um, he was from a Scottish family. Um, as a kid, he actually lived briefly in a sod house in Saskatchewan. Oh, interesting. Yeah, before his family moved to Manitoba. So if you're not familiar with a sod house, that's just a house made of mud. That's like partway in the ground? Yes. Yeah. So this is where um, the kind of place that a lot of people lived once they got to the prairies and realized there's not a lot of wood to actually build <laughs> homes. So dirt and straw. Yeah. So a rough, a rough beginning, um, but kind of makes his way in the world pretty well. So he married a woman named Lillian, who will also be involved in his experiments. In 1903, he gets an MD. So he's a proper doctor. Um, in 1909, his daughter Margaret was born, and in 1910, they moved into the home that would quickly become known as Hamilton House. Okay, is this when he starts getting into seances, or was that a thing? Not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so at this point, um, no, at this point, it's a normal house, and actually, like, the house itself is pretty unremarkable. There's not, like, the house itself is not what's ghostly about this. Yeah, I've driven past it right. on your way, on the way to your house all the time. I only noticed it, like, three or four weeks ago. Yeah, so it's like... It's kind of a nice, like, two-story house. Like, I would say if you drove past it now, you might notice it just because it's older than the surrounding It's also homes. for sale. It is. It is for sale. It, sale. It's absolutely my, like, winning the lottery <laughs> dream to buy that house and turn it into, like, a cool, like, museum to spiritualism. Uh, yeah. um, that's unlikely to happen. Yeah. As a historian. <laughs> but the house is fairly unremarkable looking. Yeah, the, point. the house is fairly unremarkable. Um, just kind of a nice two-story house. So he sets it up for both his growing practice and his growing family. Okay. So he's got his offices on the main floor, um, the surgery in the basement. So that bit's kind of a little horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's um, upsetting to think a about. A little, yeah. And then his family live on the second floor. Okay. Yeah, so he and his wife Lillian have three more children. They have twin boys and another son, and things are going pretty well for them. Like I said, he's kind of a pillar of the community, well-respected. Um, he's the first doctor in Elmwood, actually. Oh, interesting. So kind of historically significant in that way as well. And in 1915, he's actually elected as an MLA. Oh, okay, so he's a politician, too. Yes, he's a politician as well. Um, and side note, a pretty good MLA, actually, from oh. what I know. Um, interesting. Yeah, some of the issues he fought for were workers' comp and votes for women. Oh, okay. So good, good job. Him, yeah. yeah, good job, Dr. Hamilton. We, we like you so far. Your basement surgery. Yeah. <laughs> totally credible. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I guess, you know, at this time, I guess it wasn't that weird at this point to have like your surgery in your home. Yeah, like a home prep. It's the basement, I think, that's weird about it. It is. And even thinking now about going to a doctor in someone's house is, I don't know, something oh, upsetting yeah. about it. But at the time, pretty common. <laughs> 
Um, so at this point, he's just a normal doctor, normal politician going about his life. Um, but in 1918, a friend of his who's a professor at Wesley College, so that's U of W today, introduces him to the Ouija board. Oh. So this seems to kind of kick off his interest in this stuff. Um, unfortunately, what else happens in 1918? The influenza epidemic. Yes. Yes. The Spanish flu, um, which is devastating, right? Yes. We know this. Um, so in 1919, their son, Arthur, who's one of the twins, unfortunately dies of the Spanish flu. Oh, no. Yeah, it's super sad. And this seems to be kind of a turning point. Um, like I say, the Spanish flu was devastating for a lot of families, hit a lot of Manitoba really hard mm -hmm. and a lot of the world really hard. Um, it killed quickly. And even for a doctor, there really just wasn't a ton you could do, right? But kind of yeah. hope for the best. Try and make someone, you know, comfortable and warm and feed them and hope See they got happens, better. Yeah. 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 So their, their son, Glenn talks about going in to see his baby brother after he had passed and that there was like a basin of boiling water uh, with balsam in it and a tank of oxygen and that was it. Oh. So it's like, hopefully this nice balsam smell makes you better. <laughs> like, it's, it's just kind of hopeless in that way, right? Yeah. Um, and so Glenn explains that his dad was a pretty devout Presbyterian and he believed that he was being punished by God. Oh, no. Yeah. So this seems to be the real turning point. Um, yeah. So it's not surprising that this might be the catalyst, right? To think about, like, I've lost my son. Where is he now? Yeah. Um, and this is where Hamilton really starts to get into ghosts and other paranormal phenomena. Um, his wife, as I said, gets into it as well. But um, he's the one who's kind of writing all these things down. It's his thoughts that we have. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm talking about him. Um, and he calls what he does psychic research, actually, not spiritualism. Oh. So traditionally what we call it is spiritualism. That's what this ghost hunting is called. But I think as a doctor, he wants to be very methodical. Yep. Right? To the extent that you can be about something like this. <laughs> um, and also he's probably aware that a lot of the scientific community is going to find what he's doing a bit silly. So he's rebranding it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is rebranding ghost hunting as this kind of like very official um, research into life after death. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think he thinks that if he can give it this like veneer of science in that way, mm -hmm. right, that people are more likely to listen. Um, and actually, I think he probably was right about that. Um, he actually kept his psychic research secret at first as well. Oh, yeah, so some of his work is published actually only posthumously. Oh, interesting. Which is kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. So he's definitely not in it for the notoriety. No. A apparently he had a policy as well of not publishing anything for four years. So he'd do an experiment yeah. and then write about it and then wait several years. That's before a long time to sit on research. It is. It is. And I think part of it is, again, just maintaining that kind of veneer of like science and credibility. Um, so he ends up getting so into this that he sets up a separate space on the second floor of his house as a sort of seance room. Hmm. I have to say I'd be kind of annoyed if my husband <laughs> took up part of our living quarters as a seance room. Like, you've already got the main floor in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> One more space. Get your seance table out of my kitchen. <laughs> I feel like the, like, surgery office might not be a bad place for That's it. That's true, but I guess that might be kind of weird if you're going in for, like, some kind of medical treatment and over in the There's corner. There's, like, tarot cards everywhere. Yeah, it's like a Ouija board in the corner. <laughs> a little more ominous. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that it's usually women who are mediums. Mm -hmm. So Hamilton is not actually ever the medium himself. Oh. 
Um, he doesn't claim any supernatural powers for himself, um, but the family has essentially a nanny. She's a Scottish woman by the name of Poole. And for whatever reason, they become convinced that she has some kind of supernatural spiritual powers. Do we know if she ever claimed that or if the family just decided their nanny uh, could speak to ghosts? That's a good question. Like, she definitely gets into it when they recruit her. But, like, I don't think she started out that way. Is that maybe because their boss asked her to do something possibly i guess and like probably that kind of brought up her estimation like in the family and kind of in the community as well yeah right um yeah so for the first few years she's usually the one acting as the medium um later unfortunately she falls ill and two sisters-in-law who both go by mrs marshall which is oh great that's not confusing no not confusing at all when you're trying to research (laughs) they take over Um, So these are the kind of main mediums, but they're like visiting mediums and stuff as well. So if you were to attend a seance at Hamilton House, a kind of typical seance, here's what would happen. So you'd arrive in the evening around 8 or 9 p.m. Um, Before going into the seance room on the second floor, a scrutineer, so this would be kind of a trusted person, would ask you to partially strip to check that you weren't bringing any props in with you or anything that would allow any kind of fakery. Oh, So if you were a man, you'd be asked to take off your jacket and your vest. Women would be brought into a second room and inspected by a female scrutineer, but you would be asked to take off some of your clothes. What um, kind of cro- like props would you be smuggling in? Well, good question. We'll talk a little <laughs> more about that later, okay. but... Um, yeah, I don't quite know what they were, what they felt like they were looking for. So it feels like a pat down for like a wire. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's more just about demonstrating. Yeah, that there's nothing up my sleeves. There's, yeah, totally. It's it's literally that. There's nothing up my sleeves. Um, so the room itself would have to be unsealed and checked as well. So it's apparently kept sealed between seances. Um, and there would be quite a few people there with you, actually. So there's the medium or mediums. Um, there would be a secretary to record what happens. That okay. bit is really cool, actually, because it means we have, like, the minutes, almost like they're meetings from a lot of these oh, seances. cool. Which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, there's the people running the experiments. That's often Hamilton himself or a friend. Um, there's the scrutineers, of course. And then anywhere from 8 to 12 guests. So how big was this room? It doesn't seem that big. I think it would, you just all kind of crowded in. Okay. Um, from pictures that I've seen. Um, so you'd kind of sit in like a big circle almost, um, that alternated between men and women, women ideally. So they wanted half and half. Okay. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why that's conducive to the spirits, but that's what they wanted. Ghosts like gender equality. Ghosts like gender equality. (laughs) That's what I've heard. (laughs) Like music and gender equality. Those are the two things ghosts enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd all hold hands in this big circle. Um... And there would be a table, a cabinet, and a bank of cameras. And that's about it. I guess, depending on on what uh, he was doing that night. So he's kind of looking at every facet of spiritualism. So depending on the night you were there, he might be experimenting with like Ouija boards, right? So mm-hmm. there might be that. Um, they might be doing automatic writing. Um, there might be ectoplasms or trances. What is automatic writing, out of curiosity? Oh, automatic writing is when... Um, the room is darkened. The medium has a piece of paper and a pen. And in the dark, they apparently allow a spirit to come through them and write or draw something. Okay. Right. So, and apparently send messages in this way. Yeah. 
I mean, that seems hard to prove that they're having Th- this a spirit is, in them and they could I just mean, be writing. This is the thing about all of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> is also when the spirits come through verbally, they could just be talking, talking yeah. is the problem. <laughs> um, also, it's a lot of table-related stuff. So like table wrapping, flipping, tipping, and so oh. on. So like sometimes what they do is they'd use table tipping to get messages. So the medium would, or like the person running the experiment would recite the alphabet and the table would stop tipping when they got to the right letter. Oh. Which seems kind of a tedious way to get a message. Yeah. But I mean, you know, ghosts are going to do what they want to do, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, one thing you'll also see in a lot of the photographs of Hamilton House is this odd kind of cabinet construction. So it's basically like a tall cabinet, but with like a curtain rather than a door on the front. Um, And I don't totally understand the purpose of this cabinet, (laughs) but it seems like it was important. (laughs) Um, But essentially, Mrs. Poole would touch the table, charge it with energy, then push it into the cabinet. And then within the cabinet, it would move around on its own. Oh, so again, I'm not totally clear on why the table needs to be in the cabinet for this to happen. I don't know either. I don't know. Um, actually, I can show you a picture of the cabinet if you want. Yeah, that'd be cool. There was an episode, I think, on Stuff You Should Know about a pair of mediums in the States who... They explain the table tricks they use to make, like, table shaking happen. Because it's like a whole... Like, oh, that's really weird. Yeah. So, it's it was homemade, I think. It's just yeah. like a kind of sideways box. I was picturing a china cabinet, so this makes a lot no, more sense. No, it's kind of just like a big sideways box with a curtain on the front. Well, like a changing room. Yes, yeah, it's a little like a changing room, but you put a table in there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so apparently for some reason this was important to all the table tricks. All right. Again, you know, ghosts can do it the way they want to do it, I guess. Um, but again, Hamilton is trying to stretch to tread this line between looking at this paranormal phenomena and also retaining his strict Christianity. Oh. So, among all this... That's a tough needle to thread. Yes. And he is absolutely still this, like, really strict Presbyterian. Um, And actually, at one point, manages to rope his minister into experiments. Where they (laughs) sit... Yeah. Where they sit in different rooms and they try to tell each other telepathic messages. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did it work? I, I think so, according to them. Okay. Um, Jesus also appears sometimes. Oh. Like in their, um, in what they see, like in ectoplasms and stuff, you sometimes see like Jesus's face. Um, and on that night, on that note, one of the things I find really interesting about all this is the sort of element of like impropriety or yeah. like inappropriateness. Like even just having men and women in a dark room holding hands is a little iffy for like, you know, well, the 1910s and 20s. Yeah. yeah. For the, for the twenties and thirties and especially for like upper class families. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to avert accusations of fakery, they've got these scrutineers, right? They're stripping down these men and women. Um, female mediums also were made to disrobe. So they were made to strip down to the waist, were given a sponge bath and then were redressed in kind of a loose sleeveless gown. Okay. So again, this is to prevent them from literally having any tricks up yeah. their sleeve. But the when you, sponge bath part of that is what's weird. It's weird. And actually, so the reason they do that is because at one point, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but one of the ghosts tells them that this is how it should be done. <laughs> okay. That seems fake to me. Yeah. 
Apparently, maybe Mrs. Poole just wanted a sponge bath. Maybe. I mean, she's like yeah. the ghosts say it's got to happen like this. The ghosts say I need a pedicure also. Yeah. <laughs> the ghosts say I need a facial <laughs> and a massage. Um. Yeah. So. Like, it's to prevent them from, I guess, having any tricks. But, like, when you look at these photos, what they're wearing, it, it like, it does seem a little out of place also for yeah. a middle-class Winnipeg woman in the 1920s, right? Like, yeah. these are not, the women we're talking about are not, like, young kind of hip flappers, right? They're kind of, like, you know, sturdy nanny types. Yeah. Um, Wearing these, like, loose, flowing, sleeveless gowns. When normally you'd see, like, full-length sleeves and a high collar. Absolutely. And you can kind of see, like, the scientific thinking behind this, even if it comes out in a way that seems um, kind of silly as well. So more kind of scientific-y stuff that they do is that um, mediums were given code names. The reason for that is that if someone spoke their name during a seance, that way they wouldn't accidentally be brought out of a trance. Oh. So they would call them instead by a code name so that they wouldn't hear, oh, Mrs. Poole, that's me, and sort of awaken. Yeah. Um, I also mentioned photographs, and this is quite cool, actually. So there's this bank of cameras on the wall. Um, There's like 12 of them on a couple of shelves, and they're all rigged so that they can be deployed by pressing a single button. Oh. So he really set off to record this as much as possible. Like I said, there's like minutes taken. There's graphs as well. I don't don't quite understand what the graphs are charting, (laughs) but they're like surges and psychic energy that he's kind of written out. Yeah, what is, how do you measure that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, 12 cameras is not and cheap And then all these either. cameras. Actually, that's a really good point. It would have been pretty expensive, I'm sure. Oh my God, that is a lot of cameras. Yeah, it's a lot of cameras. Um, and yeah, they were all set up so that um, when it was indicated that something was about to appear, he could press a single button and they'd all go off. Um, one thing you'll notice too, this is really cool. One of them is actually a stereoscopic camera. Oh. So what that means... Um, is that it takes two photographs at once, side by side, a couple inches apart. And when you put those photographs into a stereoscope, um, they appear three-dimensional. I used to compare them to like an Oculus Rift when I was talking about them on tours. I was going to say a Viewmaster. They're yeah. exactly the same, the same technology as a Viewmaster. Um, but that's kind of cool. So there are stereoscopic pictures of ghosts and stuff. Hamilton also kept rigid controls over his experiments to try to prevent outside influence or any kind of fakery. He also occasionally visited sitters in other places and would try to maintain that same kind of, you know, rigid, uh, those kind of rigid rules. And there's a story in the Psychic News, so which is, yeah, which is great. The Psychic News is a UK-based um, paper about kind of ghosts and stuff. It still is published today. Oh my God, I didn't realize it was still going. It's still going. Um and there's a story where another psychic has written and he's kind of peeved at Hamilton for his <laughs> stringency because apparently what Hamilton did is he came to this seance, first of all, asked if he could use his own cameras and the sitter was like, no. <laughs> and then Hamilton and his friend literally held the man's arms and manipulated them while developing the photos of their session together. Oh my god. So as you can imagine, he was not thrilled about having been treated in that way. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked that either. No, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> and obviously felt kind of insulted by that too. So they like puppeted him to develop photos? Is yes. Essentially what yes, exactly. They wanted, So Hamilton and his friend wanted to do it themselves. And the medium that they were visiting said basically, well, no. And so they were like, okay, well then this is how it's going to work. We're going to like 
Yeah, puppet. It feels like hands. the Who's Line skit where they put it their does. arms between <laughs> Ryan Styles. Ex- yeah, it's exactly that. <laughs> but with more ghosts. <laughs> that's really what Who's Line was missing. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I think every time I watch that show. <laughs> Just want to see a, see a friendly Casper in here. Um some of it is also decidedly less scientific. Um, so I always picture seances as being kind of like quiet and spooky and mournful. Mm-hmm. But I think these sound pretty fun. Like they were almost like social occasions for these yeah. kind of like weird upper class Winnipeggers. Um, so they would sing songs to oh. try to call spirits forward. So the one I played you earlier is called Odom Golden Slippers. Okay. That was apparently a favorite of the ghosts. Um, sometimes they were sad, mournful songs or religious songs. But a lot of the time they were just songs like that. Um they also sang Jingle Bells. <laughs> well, what a festive seance they were having that day. Yes. And one called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. <laughs> which. <laughs> okay. Which sounded spooky, but it's not. It's like a hymn. Oh. I know. That's a bummer. I know. I wasn't familiar with it, so I had to go look it up. And I was like, oh, is this like a spooky ghost song? It's not. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, the ghosts apparently liked when they sang songs. Um, and if you believe in this stuff, Hamilton and his cohort were apparently very successful in calling ghosts. Um, right away, they start getting messages from ghosts in a number of ways. So like I mentioned, they talk to ghosts through table wrapping. So that's literally like tapping on tables, um, that they hear that gives messages through Ouija boards, which I imagine most people are familiar with. I almost bought a vintage Ouija board this week, by the way. Yeah, you would. I didn't, though, because I'm unemployed and I don't have money for vintage Ouija boards. <laughs> but if Alex had money, by but God. if I did, if I did, I would have bought that. Um, and through automatic writing, which we talked about, um, there's also visual phenomena. And these are really cool because we don't have to rely on the experiences of the sitters to know mm-hmm. about those, right? We have those photos. So visually, what's most striking are probably the photos of ectoplasms. Yes. So if you're not familiar, ectoplasm is kind of like a ghostly goop. (laughs) It's a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. So typically it's like stuff kind of like, or like almost like gauzy kind of stuff that comes out of the medium, usually out of like a mouth or a nose or maybe an ear. Um, And sometimes sort of floats around the room as well. Um, And in the case of Hamilton's mediums, the ectoplasm often carries images in it of spirits. So dead people. So sometimes just one face, sometimes numerous little faces kind of scattered throughout this ectoplasm. Um, Some of the phenomena in these photographs is kind of harder to make a solid spiritual connection of like how are ghosts connected to this. So for example, there's a series of photographs labeled the shining garment in which a woman is reclining in a trance-like state and is wearing a dress that's like almost luminescent, which apparently appeared out of nowhere. Okay. So she apparently came in in a different dress, and then at some point during the seance, this glowing dress. Mm. And yeah, again, I'm not sure like what what ghosts have to do with that. Yeah. But it's it's interesting. The photographs are actually like beautiful, like artistically, they're super cool. But um, ghosts, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> they're also recurring ghosts. Of course. Of course. They're my favorite. Um, These are so-called spirit controls is what they call them. So spirit controls are powerful spirits that come through in seances and have the ability to bring forth other spirits. Okay. So it's sort of a complicated thing, but the way it's working, I suppose, is you have the medium who's able to connect with these spirit controls and through the spirit controls, they bring ghosts in. Um, So one of them was Walter. Walter was the late brother of a famous American medium. 
And Walter would almost like direct the seances when he came through. He's my favorite because he's kind of sassy. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, records show him like almost teasing Hamilton. He'll be like, oh, someone is trying to come through, but I won't let them. You might have to wait until the same time next year to, to see this truth that I'm about to reveal. So that's why Walter is my favorite. So he would like speak audibly through the medium. So again, this is the thing where it's hard to say, like, was it the medium? Perhaps just talking. Who knows? Who knows? Um, or he would also ring a bell to indicate to Hamilton that he should take a photograph because something was about to appear. Okay. Um, and he appeared through automatic writing. Uh, so in one of these instances of automatic writing, it shows the train crash that supposedly killed Walter. Oh, it's kind of a neat photograph. It looks a little like a child drew it, but <laughs> it's probably hard to write while you're possessing someone. I suspect so. Yeah. Or just like write in the dark. Yeah. It's probably like trying to, you know, draw left-handed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, another frequent guest was Lucy. So we don't know too much about who Lucy supposedly was in real life, but we do see her in these kind of teleplasm materializations as opposed to Walter, who mainly came through in speech and writing. Um, and similarly, the figure of Katie King often came through visually. So this is kind of a weird one. Um, it's hard to get into without diving pretty deep into like ghost hunting, spiritualist mm -hmm. traditions. But Katie King is the daughter of the ghost of a pirate who is supposed to have frequently appeared in seances and the like. So it's like almost like a whole family of spirit controls. Interesting. Who, yeah. So this is kind of a thing that I didn't know about seances and like spiritualist research is that a lot of them had the same ghosts, apparently, who they were talking to. So the question is that if you're having two different seances at the same time, oh. could they be in the same place? Interesting. If you're like halfway through a seance, can Walter be like called away? Yeah. He's like, oh, sorry, someone else. I'm on call someone else <laughs> yeah. tonight too. <laughs> I'm with them until nine, but then I can come back. <laughs> Just like, hang on. Um, also a spirit, we talked a little bit about, um, some of the spiritualist stuff being kind of problematic sometimes. Yeah. There's a spirit control named Black Hawk, who seems to be the spirit of a sock leader from the 1700s in what is now Illinois. So this was a real person, yeah. but the way he comes through in these seances is kind of just racist. Oh, great. I'm going to be like, to yeah. be real. In the transcript of one seance, Hamilton recognizes that Black Hawk has come through because the medium stands up, stamps her feet regularly, faces north, then east, then north again, places one hand across her breast, then the other, and bows. Um, he also does kind of like a call when he leaves. And Weird. he refers to Walter as Paleface. Mm, great. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also crosstalk between the spirit controls. But so super problematic and questionable. Yes. Um, but uh, that being the case anyway, um, a lot of people did believe in what Hamilton was doing and he had some pretty famous visitors. Um, so in 1923, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle visits Winnipeg. Right. Yes. I've heard about this. Yes. And apparently he made it a habit of visiting spiritualist groups whenever he traveled. Yeah, he was very into spiritualism. He was, yes, he was very into this. Apparently, he and Houdini had like a long-running bet <laughs> yeah. or, or kind of long-running challenge against each other sort of argument about whether or not ghosts exist, where Houdini was going around debunking things and Conan Doyle was going around sort of taking part. Yeah. Um, he was super impressed with Hamilton's setup. 
Uh, he was there along with about 10 other people, so doctors and lawyers, along with their wives. Um, Mrs. Poole apparently charged the table, so again with this kind of psychic energy, by touching it, pushed it into the cabinet, and he describes it as being like a restless dog in a kennel, springing, tossing, beating up against the supporting, and finally bounding out with a velocity which caused me to quickly get out of the way. Hmm. So that's what he saw. Additionally, Mrs. Poole was able to wrap out quotes from Robert Louis Stevenson books. Oh. So through this table wrapping, she apparently psychically got quotes from these books. This sounds like the worst audiobook in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Takes a while, right? You yeah. have to like read out the letters and wait for <laughs> And I actually It's weird they're quoting a book though, also. Yeah, and so Conan Doyle um was positive she was receiving um, these quotes from the author telepathically because he said he was certain that she had never read Robert Louis Stevenson. <laughs> what? And Maybe yeah, Mrs. Poole likes to read. He doesn't I know. know. That cr- it cracks me up because like the idea that it was so unbelievable that this poor woman had not read a book, that it was more <laughs> likely that it was ghosts. This is just so insulting. Like poor Mrs. Poole, give her some credit. Yeah, I, I'd like to assume she read something I, at some point. I would like to assume that she read a book. <laughs> Or heard about a book. Like, jeez. It was a popular book at the time, too. It was yeah. a popular author. Popular author, yeah. So this guy wrote um, Treasure Island, of course. So yeah, very popular. Um, Hamilton House was also visited by famously William Lyon Mackenzie King. Right. Yes. So, of course, who was he famous for talking to? Oh, God, wasn't it his dog? It was his dog and I think his mother as <laughs> right, well. Right, yes. Yes. He so, was a Canadian prime minister. Yes, Canadian prime minister. Yeah, famously was very into this stuff and into talking to his dog and his mom. <laughs> um, yeah, he apparently had a great time. He called his visit a new and higher beginning to my life and my life's interests. I feel I have come to a new plane of existence itself. Okay, but did his dog talk back? <laughs> I don't know. I oh, I feel really bad for Mrs. Poole if she had to be medium for a dog. <laughs> or worse, if we're assuming this is like fakery. Yeah. She had to pretend well, to be a dog. Yes, that's, that's really what I feel bad for, if we're honest, <laughs> is that poor Mrs. Poole was having to cater to all of these like weird rich guys who wanted to hear from their dogs. Yeah. And from quotes okay. from books. Didn't William Mackenzie King also want to talk to like John A. MacDonald? Oh, I don't know about that, but... I mean, I think there's someone else who wanted to try and, like, convene with the prime minister through seances, but... Yeah, possibly. I haven't come across any instances of John A. Macdonald coming through in these seances. <laughs> um, but, I mean, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, so, in 1935, Dr. Hamilton dies, unfortunately, um, but the experiments at his place actually continue. Um, and speaking of people who showed up in these ectoplasms, um, Conan Doyle, actually after his death, shows up in an ectoplasm. Okay. And so does Dr. Hamilton himself. Huh. Yeah. So there's actually a photograph of an ectoplasm with Hamilton's face in it. Um, as I said, the home still stands today on Henderson Highway. I think it's a naturopathic clinic now. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Or at least it was. Um, it's been up for sale for a while. Um, so... Let's talk a little bit about kind of the elephant in the room here, which is the concept of, like, fakery. (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. Good. Because yeah. I was gonna start bringing it up a few. No. Words. Yeah. Yeah. No. We're gonna get into it here. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about the fact is that that they were taking tons of photographs is that we still have those, um, and we can see what was presented there as proof of paranormal experiences. Yeah. Right. So as I read through this history, a lot of historians are treating this stuff really seriously. Because, first of all, Hamilton was a serious guy, right? He presented this as real research. But also historians kind of owe what they know about all this to his family members who have been willing to share with them. And so I think there's some desire to be respectful there, which Mm -hmm. I totally get. But on the other hand, Dr. Hamilton was a scientist, right? Who went to great lengths to try and get people to take him seriously. So I think we'd be doing him a disservice if we didn't analyze that a little bit, right? And so we have the photographs and they're bad, yeah, the ectoplasm pictures, I have the, seen them. Yeah, they look like are... someone's barfing napkins <laughs> with newspaper faces taped to them. And I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. No, that's not an exaggeration. That's 100%. Like, they're very clearly just fabric or gauze. Yeah. And that was a thing, like, seances with, like, con men or whatever leading them would do. They would stuff their mouth with gauze or something. Yes. Because the room is dark, you can't always see them pulling it out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are some photographs where even like you can see one of the mediums reaching into her mouth where the ectoplasm is going to come from. And yeah, like we can see they're really good high quality photographs and we can see that these are not like kind of ghostly, right? It's, yeah. it's just fabric. Um, yeah. The, the one with Arthur Conan Doyle is pretty funny. It sent me on a bit of a research loophole because what I found out um, is that one famous fraudster was actually caught um, doing doing this with the fake ectoplasm because she had been cutting photographs out of the newspaper oh. and sticking them to the muslin she used. So that's a kind yeah. of fabric that she used as ectoplasm. So that's probably what we're seeing there with Conan Doyle and Hamilton and whatnot. And she was caught because people recognized the photographs. Oh. Yeah. So the rabbit hole that I went down there <laughs> was trying to find if I could see the exact same photograph of Conan Doyle. Did you find one? I did not find it. Oh, but, bummer. Okay, so I got really mad about that because <laughs> I couldn't, I had looked through the newspapers and I couldn't find the identical photograph of Conan Doyle. But then I started looking a little more through the scrapbooks of the Hamilton family. Um, and they've actually done this themselves. Like they'll have a photograph of a face in ectoplasm and put it next to the photograph from real life, the identical yeah. photograph in their scrapbooks. Okay. So what we're seeing are definitely black and white photographs. They're not real living faces of, of people, yeah. right? Um, I think the only real question there is like, were they, you know, stuck to the fabric like at the time or was it like later in the photographs? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. But I think either way, it's pretty clear that in those, at least, what we're seeing is... A trick. It's a trick. And the hard thing is, like, I don't want to I don't want to make any assumptions about who was pulling that trick. Like, I don't want to say that Hamilton was the one f- trying to fool people. Because, yeah. like, he seems, by all accounts, to have been a genuine guy. But then I also don't want to say that, like, poor Mrs. Poole was trying to fool people. <laughs> Tricking them all, yeah. Right? So... It's, it's, and it's not my job to say whether or not what they saw was real. Um, yeah, a few more um, kind of techniques that had been used to fake things historically in seances. Table wrapping and tipping. I mean, a lot of this is just done with like feet and knees. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if the table is tipping, of course, you can have your hands above it, not appearing to do anything, but you're just moving the table with your feet. <laughs> right. That's pretty easy, especially in a darkened room. Um, famously, though, the Fox sisters, who were pretty kind of famous um, mediums, they were able to crack their toe and knee joints audibly and revealed later in life that this is how they had been making rapping noises, which oh. appeared to come from nowhere. Yes, they had this odd kind of trick that they had learned how to do where they could crack their toes and make a noise. And that's how they were faking it. That couldn't have been good for your bones. No, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, so one of the Fox sisters actually revealed that later in her life. And so could be something similar that we're seeing here. I mean, I'm not saying that Mrs. Poole was cracking her toes, yeah. but certainly there are lots of easy ways to fake tipping or rapping on a table. Yeah. Um, I think things like trances or automatic writing are pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. You know, there's, there's essentially no way to know if that's a person who's doing that or a ghost. Um, Ouija boards are an example of what's known as the idiomotor effect. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you'll often, like I've spoken to people who have done experiments with Ouija boards and will swear that they did not move, you know, that Mm -hmm. what happened was, you know, truly something coming through. And that's because what it is essentially is a movement that your body is not conscious of. It's you Mm -hmm. not trying to move, but your body doing it anyway. And so there are other examples of that effect as well. Um, But yeah, Ouija boards are a pretty pretty easily explained phenomenon. And like thoroughly debunked thing. Yes. Yeah. So there have been experiments done where, for instance, they'll blindfold everyone sitting around the Ouija board. And they're no longer able to make coherent messages because, of course, it requires the eyes of the people doing it, which if it were ghosts, presumably it would not, unless we're saying that ghosts need the eyes of humans, which maybe we are. I don't know. (laughs) We're not the experts here. Um, The other problematic thing here is really the specific spirit controls they were using. So Katie King is a really interesting one. So like I said, this is Katie King was a spirit control that was coming through in other seances and other places Mm -hmm. in the world. And it's actually a little weird that this is the one he was using because in the 1870s, there had been a whole scandal about Katie King. Oh. Yeah. That there were supposed photographs of her um, that had appeared um, during seances of this kind of ghostly spirit of a woman. And then a young woman came forward saying that she had posed for those photographs. Oh. Yeah. So her existence, to some extent, had been quite a controversy and had mm-hmm. done real damage, apparently, to these kind of spiritualist circles. So it's funny that they were still using her. Um, <laughs> but I guess she hadn't been, you know, thoroughly debunked. They were just like, no, it's just that one, just that one bit. <laughs> That one bit's not real, but everything else is yes. legitimate. She's still she's still real, just in that one seance, she wasn't real. <laughs> and then, of course, Black Hawk. Like, he doesn't talk like a real indigenous person, no. right? He talks like a, a stereotyped, like, caricature. Yeah. So this, to me, would be one of the big things of this not being real, because obviously it's coming from the biases of the people who are summoning him, not... Yes through a ghost itself, right? That's someone faking it. Absolutely. So that to me is the the kind of greatest evidence that what we're seeing here has some fakery going yeah. on because if it were coming through, we'd expect it to be a more kind of genuine person who's coming through. Not someone's ideas of a racist caricature. Yeah. Also, from what I can find, Black Hawk didn't speak English. Oh, yeah. Okay, so. Yeah. So like, because he, he apparently, you know, in his life had told some stories about his life but told them to a translator yeah which tells me that 
he didn't speak English as far as I know. I could yeah. be wrong on that. But um, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, again, not to say that Hamilton specifically was faking all of that or that ghosts more broadly speaking don't exist, but just to apply the kind of historical experience here to phony mediums. I think there's something to be said too about going to an event and wanting to believe in something. Yeah. Right? Like you're going to the seance because you want to see or experience something. Maybe you're trying to communicate with someone. I think you can kind of like trick yourself into justifying inconsistencies that way. Absolutely. And like Hamilton came from such a genuine place of, you know, his son had died. Well, like grief. Yeah. Yeah. A genuine place of grief. And I'm sure a lot of the people visiting had. You know, this is happening just after the First World War. How many mm. people have lost people, right? And are looking for... Well, comfort, right? For comfort, yeah. And for some way to explain that. So that's about all I have. That's <laughs> on, that, on that very light and happy note. <laughs> Death is sad is what we learned Death today. is sad. Um, ghosts are fun, but maybe not real. Almost definitely not Almost real. definitely not real. At least not at Hamilton House. Um, but it was a pretty cool little place anyway. Yeah, it's a neat way of sort of talking about, well, spiritualism was a huge thing in the 1920s everywhere, and that's probably because of stuff like the war and the epidemic. Yeah, yeah, people trying to trying to cope with all of that. Yeah. So it's a really interesting phenomena, if yeah, nothing else. Yeah, Yeah, and this is where um, that was kind of centered in Winnipeg. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you liked the episode, you can see pictures and sources on our website at onegreathistory.wordpress.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at One Great History. We're on Twitter at One Great History with the number one. If you liked the episode, tell someone about it. If you didn't, don't. That's fine too. <laughs> and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.